Welcome. I'm Anastasia Glova, bringing you the Cato Daily Podcast. Full and edited versions of our podcasts are available on our website at www.cato.org. Does the Clean Air Act give the Environmental Protection Agency the authority to regulate carbon dioxide as a pollutant? The Supreme Court has agreed to hear arguments beginning in October in a case that will redefine environmental regulation in the United States. Here's Cato Senior Fellow and Environmental Expert, Pat Michaels. The Supreme Court has agreed to hear Massachusetts versus the EPA to determine whether carbon dioxide gas should be classified and regulated as a pollutant. Is it? Well, somebody's going to have to prove that the net effect of increasing carbon dioxide is negative. Negative on society, negative on health and welfare, etc. That is going to be a very, very difficult proof indeed. The plaintiff argues that the Clean Air Act gives the government authority to regulate carbon dioxide because it causes climate change. Are you saying that it doesn't? No, there's no doubt the planet's warmer than it was, but you have to demonstrate that that climate change, in fact, induces a net negative or doesn't carry other things along with it that are more positive. I'm sure that an amicus brief that will come from somebody by the name of Epstein will argue that global warming increases the range of malaria and therefore kills 150,000 excess people per year. And then somebody else is going to argue that, well, yes, maybe that's true, but in fact the number of lives that have been saved, meaning extended for a long time, by the benefits of a fossil fuel-powered society dramatically outweighs the number that might be caused by spreading of diseases, diseases which could be prevented anyway. Remember this when that argument comes up. Malaria was endemic to the United States in the 19th century when it was cooler, and it was chased out of this country by sanitation and economic development. In your op-ed for the Washington Times, you contend that the number of lives saved by our emitting societies is much greater than any cost. But that's not a static determination. What if we're at a point of diminishing societal returns and we'll soon begin experiencing a significant detrimental impact from global warming? Shall we still do nothing? Well, the problem is that if CO2-related activities confer benefits, they're conferring benefits on increasing numbers of people because population goes up in general. The other answer is, should we do nothing? Well, should we do nothing is actually doing something. You just don't realize that you're doing it. You're adapting. The planet warmed eight-tenths of a degree in the last 100 years, and while that might not seem like much, people did adapt to it. Uh, and it looks like it will warm about eight-tenths of a degree more in the next 50 years. It seems to me that if you adapted to eight-tenths in 100, why wouldn't you adapt to eight-tenths in 50? Why hasn't the EPA adopted emission standards to date? The subject in question in front of the Supreme Court is language in the Clean Air Act Amendments of 1990 which is very vague uh, and basically says that the government has the responsibility to regulate a certain named gases and other pollutants. And so once one establishes, that's why one has to establish that CO2 is a pollutant uh, in order to regulate it. That's what the case is going to revolve around. Now, let's just hypothesize that the Supreme Court says, yes, we interpret the Clean Air Act amendments and say, say that you have to regulate carbon dioxide. Now, how much? You know, if every nation of the world did the Kyoto Protocol that said they would, 
the temperature would only drop seven hundredths of a degree in 50 years from where it would be if we did nothing. That means you have to cut emissions dramatically. It's been the historical behavior of Congress in recent decades to hand off to the courts actions that they would rather not do because they might be politically unpopular. And it's beginning to look like global warming regulation and emissions regulation might be another one of those handoffs to the court. Increasingly ceding, if you will, the power of the people to the power of unelected and appointed people. If the court rules against the EPA, how will this affect subsequent cases and the broader debate on global climate change? No one knows what the implications of a Supreme Court decision saying that the government must regulate are, because no one knows how much to regulate. But if their decision says that the EPA is required to regulate anything that causes a net negative, any, any emission that does that, then it has to be regulated to the point that no one can demonstrate any more a net negative. And I would argue that that would mean that CO2 emissions would have to be reduced by 60 to 80 percent. We cannot run our society on that. It is simply impossible for the world to run on that. And energy would become so expensive that we would not be able to afford even the most rudimentary environmental protections. If energy becomes so expensive, what about developing alternative energy sources? Well, that's the problem. Nobody knows what technology could possibly replace that much fossil fuel technology. Our society simply hasn't come up with this. It's not that people don't want to. I mean, I am convinced that as a nation, we're really not happy paying so much for, for foreign oil. But as a society and as a world, we haven't come up with anything that's non-fossil fuel that is going to be able to account for 60 to 80% of those emissions. The only on-the-shelf technology that can do something uh, is nuclear power for mainly electricity production. But that's not going to move cars. We don't have electrical-powered car battery technology that will work, and people have been trying to solve that problem for decades and getting pretty close to nowhere. We don't haven't figured out a way to get hydrogen isolated enough to run fuel cells economically without taking more energy to isolate the hydrogen than you will get out of the fuel cell. These are daunting challenges, but the Supreme Court has it in its power, essentially, to bring our energy usage to an abrupt decrease without any replacement technology. Maybe the lack of alternatives is a problem of incentives that could be realigned with the proper regulatory regime. I don't think there's anybody in the world that is not trying to produce something that is more efficient than what we have. There, have, there are incentives for that in place now, and they have been for some time. The fact of the matter is nobody seems to be able to come up with anything that's really going to work. Uh, and when one gets in the situation where there's a lot of political pressure, uh, all of a sudden we wind up pushing technologies that don't or won't work I draw your attention to the solar energy and wind energy lobbies, which are very, very powerful, uh, and now the ethanol lobby, which is trying to say that somehow ethanol fuels are going to allow us to reduce our net carbon dioxide emissions 
dramatically. I don't think those numbers calculate outright. This has been Cato Daily Podcast. Thank you for listening.